Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What is up? Welcome to the Los Angeles Dodgers podcast on the Believe Network. I am J.P. Hornstra with the Southern California News Group. And spring training is just about over. The van is revving up its engine, getting ready to haul back to Southern California, getting ready for the freeway series. I will be watching the Dodgers in person in two days as I speak here on Friday afternoon. Anybody out there going to the freeway series? Starting to feel real. I can feel it. I can smell it. Uh, This is going to be a little bit all over the place because I realize it has been a while since I last recorded. And I kind of struggled with what to do with the WBC because On the one hand, you had a lot of Dodgers participating. Obviously, Mookie Betts and Will Smith were still standing at the end of the tournament with Team USA. Austin Barnes played a very integral role on Team Mexico, with Julio Urias making a couple cameos on the mound in the tournament. Trace Thompson had a cup of coffee, cup of tea, shall we say, with Great Britain. David Peralta with Venezuela, but it was kind of happening out of sight, out of mind. Certainly for those reporters like myself who were really plugged into spring training, but then Mookie Betts and Will Smith, I mean, especially Will Smith, really did not play in the tournament. And I'm guessing the Dodgers front office and coaches weren't thrilled by that because now Will Smith is going to go into the season with fewer at-bats than his teammates. Uh, He'll have a few days to make that up, and I'm guessing that if you are going to the freeway series, you will see plenty of Will Smith behind the plate. Uh, Mookie Betts had a decent tournament for Team USA, but he did ground into the double play (laughs) that set up the final out, a dramatic showdown between Shohei Otani and Mike Trout for all the marbles in an eventual 3-2 win by Japan. Spoiler alert, Trout struck out. And so I struggled with it mainly because on the one hand, you know, it's a Dodgers podcast. I want to talk about everything going on with the team, everything in the team's orbit. But on the other hand, I was really enjoying watching that WBC. And it was ironic, right? Because I'm going into the studio driving down to El Segundo, going into Sportsnet LA to talk about the Dodgers on the pregame show and on the postgame show. And here I'm like listening to the WBC the whole time on the way over. It's like, oh, what's happening with Mexico? Oh my goodness, they might do this. What's happening with Cuba? Cuba made it this far? Oh my goodness. As soon as I talk to Will Smith and Mookie Betts, I, I really do want to talk to them about that emotional transition coming out of this cauldron of emotions and patriotism and do or die games. It's like game seven 
for three straight days in Miami. And now you come back to spring training, which is really the opposite of that. Um, I think it's going to be okay, right? The, the regular season is going to be starting soon enough. But also, man, what a WBC that was. So I think I want to start there. It's really not a story of the Dodgers, but it's a story of baseball. And it's a story of the future of baseball, which I attempted to write this week for the Southern California News Group, that not everybody who likes baseball is using Major League Baseball as their conduit to the game. Japanese fans have their head in NPB for six straight months that happen to overlap with the MLB schedule. You know, the league in Korea is a very strong one. Uh, I know there was a lot of disappointment over there around how poorly the Korean team did in the WBC. And obviously the, the Dominican and the various Caribbean winter leagues have their own thing going in the off season. And, and those guys are afforded a degree of celebrity that maybe some of the Asian players are not. But think about a fan like in Great Britain or the Czech Republic or Israel. Like, I know there aren't a lot of them. These aren't baseball hotbeds, but these guys are getting to watch, in some cases, their countrymen play against the best players in the world. And so when I think about what a high-level tournament like the WBC can do to bring in new fans from around the world, but also give us really good, competitive, entertaining baseball with something at stake in March. The WBC checked a lot of boxes this year. And like I wrote in my column, I know there was a lot of talk going into the tournament about who wasn't going to be participating. Where's Max Scherzer? Where's Jacob deGrom? You know, Clayton Kershaw had that issue with the insurance, but where's Garrett Cole? A lot of American pitchers did not show up for this. But that was not why the U.S. lost the championship game. The U.S. lost the championship game because they could only hit a couple solo home runs against Japan in a game where Yu Darvish only pitched one inning, Shohei Otani only pitched one inning, and Roki Sasaki started the day before, so he wasn't eligible. And that really felt like a game in which both teams stepped up, U.S. and Japan, really couldn't have put anything more on the line. Like those guys were trying. That looked like a Game 7 World Series environment. Sounded like it, felt like it, and it sure had all the trappings of a championship victory celebration when Japan walked the U.S. off the field. Yeah, I was paying a lot more attention to that than I was spring training for a few days there. And I understand that there are some people who will look at the WBC as a gimmick, as an exhibition, as just a prelude to the real thing. And that's fine. Look, I get it. These guys have, in some cases, nine-figure contracts with their MLB team. You know, we speculate all offseason about what so-and-so is going to look like in such and such a uniform. And he gets that big free agent contract and He's expected to perform come opening day until the end of the postseason. Where does the WBC fit in that? And I think it's very easy to dismiss it when it's a tournament that is overlapping with spring training without full participation from the best players in the world, 
we're getting closer and closer to full participation among the best players in the world. We're not quite there yet. I get it. But for one thing, even if it is just a couple weeks of exhibition baseball played at a very high level, who cares? Just enjoy it. You know, how can you be a Grinch about that, right? If you like baseball, it's hard to hate on the WBC. But then secondly, I don't know if you guys have been paying attention to this, but there are a lot of regional sports networks in trouble right now. Like almost half the league has had some questions around the financial stability of its RSN. The Dodgers, not in that boat. Sportsnet LA hasn't missed any payments to me, at least, uh, to their credit. But Bally Sports, which is operated by Diamond Sports and is the largest owner of regional sports networks in the country, is filing for bankruptcy. And that hits baseball harder than it does other sports, right? Because regional sports network revenue takes up a larger share of the pie in baseball than it does in the NFL, than it does in the NBA, and than it does in the NHL. That RSN revenue is almost a quarter of the overall cash flow into MLB. And so you ask, well, what can baseball do to avoid, I mean, literally a financial crisis. Well, they're still making money. (laughs) That's not a problem. I know Major League Baseball and the Players Association keeps money in reserve so that if some crisis were to happen overnight where a regional sports network is missing payments to a team that allows that team to sustain operations, Major League Baseball can step in and help out. That is a short-term solution. Rob Manford knows this. I'm sure he thinks about this probably more than anything. (laughs) I don't think I'm going out on too much of a limb there to say that this regional sports network situation is at the forefront of his mind. Solving it on a long-term basis is really an open question. Short-term, Manford has said that he will help teams whose networks are struggling to air games by stepping in, streaming them if needed. A lot of questions around what that might look like if you're somebody who likes being able to dip in and watch 30 teams on occasion. Decentralizing, or rather centralizing that model could be a very fan-friendly thing, I think. But back to the overall financial picture, how does Major League Baseball broaden its audience? Well, having a really kick-ass WBC sure helps. And if you can stage that every three years, heck, even every two years... Why not make that a more central focus of the Major League schedule? Some people are fans of holding it in November after the season. I personally would like to see them at least try staging it in the middle of the season, alternating with the All-Star game. I don't want to get too much into the weeds of what that might look like, but I would like to see the WBC have a brighter spotlight be in center stage where people aren't wondering why is my guy choosing to play in spring training over the WBC or vice versa. Just take that choice off the table, make the WBC a more central focus, broaden the global audience, stream the games, make it nice and easy for everybody around the world to watch. And I think not only is the WBC a fun tournament in the short term, but in the long term, I think it could be a big 
piece of MLB's global strategy. Kind of excited to see what that might look like. Dodger fans don't have to have Mookie Betts and Clayton Kershaw and (laughs) all these exciting young players all to themselves. Anyway, maybe you just thought the WBC was worth a couple weeks of fun and got something cool out of it. I hope you did. Maybe like me, you think it's part of the bigger picture future of Major League Baseball and, and how it's going to expand its audience. Either way, it was really hard for me to ignore. I hope that you did not ignore it. I hope that you enjoyed it. And I hope that now that it's over, we can just slide right back into that regular season as quickly as possible. Don't have to worry about too many meaningless exhibition games taking us off that emotional high from USA Japan. Today, as I speak, Friday was not a meaningless day for the Dodgers because they made some very important roster decisions. And I'll take a quick break and come back and talk about that. In the last 48 hours, two of the biggest questions facing the Dodgers this spring were answered. Number one, who is going to be the primary center fielder out of the gate? Number two, who is going to be the number five starter with Tony Gonsolin on the injured list? And I think we have those answers. Michael Grove was optioned to AAA. Ryan Pepio outperformed him in the words of Dave Roberts and is the fifth starter. Still to be seen is how exactly the Dodgers use that fifth starter because they don't need Pepio to throw more than twice in the first roughly three weeks of the season. But they could keep him on turn, give everybody else some rest out of the gate. James Outman is the center fielder as of now. And he had a pretty good spring. James Outman led the team in hits in Cactus League play. He has an 892 OPS in spring training. Not too shabby. Couple home runs. Three seventy on base percentage. James Outman had a good spring. He won that job fair and square. And I think when you look at what Chris Taylor did or or didn't do, I mean, six hits, 23 strikeouts, a 125 batting average, that's a bad spring. You do not want him as your everyday center fielder if you can avoid it. Jason Hayward started hot, cooled off a little bit after hitting those two early home runs. Probably don't want him as your starting center fielder if you can avoid it either. I do find it fascinating, really, that after the Dodgers front office came out and said, really, at the end of last season, that you're going to see this team get a lot younger, that indeed you have two true rookies who figure to be in the everyday lineup, James Outman, Miguel Vargas, one in the rotation with Ryan Pepio, but Andre Jackson, another young pitcher, seems to be the favorite to open the season in the bullpen. That's really the only roster question, 26-man roster question, still outstanding, who are the 13 pitchers the Dodgers carry out of the freeway series. And those were the camp battles, and they were not straightforward. You know, I didn't know a month ago whether Jason Hayward or Steven Duggar or Bradley Zimmer or somebody else was going to step up and seize a roster spot. 
like I said, Hayward looked pretty good early. And I think when the Dodgers want to go with an all-left-handed outfield now, you could see them put David Peralta, James Outman, Jason Hayward out there left to right, shift Mookie Betts to second base. Dave Roberts has been known to do that on occasion. <laughs> I'm a little surprised the Dodgers don't didn't go out and get some middle infield help after losing Gavin Lux. But that could change in 24 hours because we learned today that Keston Hero wasn't getting a roster spot with the Milwaukee Brewers on opening day, and he is out of options. I know for a fact there were some people in the Dodgers' front office who really liked Keston Hira as a first-round draft pick coming out of UC Irvine a few years back. The problem with Hira is he's not a great fielder. He would probably play second base by default. And he's had some struggles at the plate in recent years. A lot of early potential, but the league kind of adjusted to him. I think at his best, he's a good hitter for average. And you wonder if the Dodgers wouldn't just say, well, we've got Michael Bush, who profiles very similarly from the left side, so we'll pass. But who knows? Uh, Things could still change. Congratulations to James Outman. It was interesting that I think I saw somebody tweet sarcastically James Outman for Rookie of the Year, guaranteed, book it. And like, you can't actually book it. (laughs) I went online to uh, betonline.ag. You can't place a bet on James Outman to win Rookie of the Year. You can place a bet on Miguel Vargas or Bobby Miller. James Outman is not listed. (laughs) They don't have odds on him yet. Um, And yet, I wouldn't be surprised to see him have a great season, given that he has really answered the bell every time the Dodgers have asked him to perform. So it's going to be interesting. Just because the outfield is set doesn't mean it's the best outfield on the planet. I talked about Chris Taylor's struggles. Of course, he's probably going to be the backup infielder. I don't know how much outfield you're going to see him play. But I know the Dodgers had some hopes for Steven Duggar. He hit 171. Probably starts the season at AAA, as long as his contract allows it. Dodgers had a lot of hopes giving David Peralta a guaranteed contract. Well, he hit a buck ninety. Uh, granted, three forty six on base percentage, but only two extra base hits in twenty one plate appearances through Friday. The Dodgers had a lot of hopes for Trace Thompson being the guy that he was when they acquired him in the middle of last season. Trace Thompson is three for twenty nine. In spring training, that equates to a 103 average. Two extra base hits, but 10 strikeouts. Strikeouts have been his issue in the past. And I mean, look, it's spring training stats, right? Mookie Betts was hitting a buck 54 when the World Baseball Classic started. I'm not worried about him. But if you're looking at indicators for some of these guys who had question marks about how much of a regular presence will they be in the lineup this season it's not looking good for trace thompson and chris taylor after what six weeks of spring training thompson went to the wbc and hit a home run and a double but that was truly it in the four games he played with great britain 
So I think the jury's still very much out on what version of Trace Thompson the Dodgers are going to get this season. I think roster depth is going to be a question for this team. I think that was more of a question on the pitching side coming into camp. Now for me, it's more of a question mark on the hitting side. Michael Grove looked pretty good. You could have made a case for him starting the season as the Dodgers' fifth starter. Wasn't a strong one. Ryan Pepio kept the ball in the ballpark. He established that slider as a legitimate third pitch to go along with his plus fastball, plus changeup. He kept the walks down, which was the big issue for him last year. And he looks like somebody who could really be a regular starter for the Dodgers this year if his spring training results are not a fluke. Kid's got really good stuff. This is a prospect the Dodgers have been talking about for a couple years now, and it seems like now is his time. Hats off to him. But Michael Grove didn't look too shabby either. And I don't think either of them was the best pitcher who will start the season in AAA for the Dodgers. That's Gavin Stone. Gavin Stone was like striking out every other dude and not just the dudes who were up from double a for the game <laughs> gavin stone does not have a very long track record at triple a it makes sense why he would start there to get a few starts under his belt but if he picks up where he left off in spring training i think you'll see him up before long gavin stone did not allow a run in six and two-thirds innings he allowed five hits walked two, struck out 14 batters And if you're looking at the future of this Dodgers rotation, Gavin Stone is a big part of it. It's just a question of when, not if. So there were some promising things from this Dodgers team in spring training. If we're checking back in on the pulse of the team, are they still favored to win the National League West? I don't know. I think it's probably going to be close between the Dodgers and the Padres. But this came up on Sportsnet LA the other day where I was asked, what is the reason the Dodgers will win the 2023 World Series if indeed they do? And I said, it's the depth on the farm. You know, one of the guys who impressed me the most in camp was Eddie Slenard. Eddie Slendard hit 409. (laughs) Um, And against some pretty good pitching in there, I had never seen Eddie Slendard play baseball uh, prior to this year. Uh, But he's a young guy, hadn't played above high A. He's on the 40 man. So if it weren't for his age, he's only 22. I would say he's somebody who you might see this season. The Dodgers will definitely want him to get some time at double A and triple A to show that that 409 batting average wasn't a fluke. But this is a guy who is small of stature. He is listed as five foot eleven. Seems a little generous to me. But he can punch the ball all over the field. And certainly showed to me why he got that 40-man roster spot when the Dodgers needed to protect him from the Rule 5 draft. I just don't know if he finishes the season in a Dodgers uniform. That's somebody who, if you're looking to be competitive in, say, 2024, 2025... 
I'd like to have Eddie Slendered on my depth chart. If you're looking to win a World Series this year, I don't know where Eddie Slendered fits on your 40-man roster, quite frankly. Johnny DeLuca is another guy who I had not seen play baseball prior to this year. Another guy who got a spot on the 40-man roster to protect him from the Rule 5 draft. Johnny DeLuca batted 304 with a 448 on-base percentage and only three strikeouts in 23 spring at-bats. I know, spring training statistics, great assault. But if you're talking about players who made a positive impression, there's somebody who is pretty far down on the depth chart, relatively speaking. Somebody who might not have space on the 40-man roster of a team that is contending for a World Series now. But if you want to contend in the next, say, three years, I'd want Johnny DeLuca on my depth chart based on what little I've seen so far. And I don't want to bring everything back to the WBC, but Shohei Otani is somebody the Dodgers have had their eye on. If the Angels had made Shohei Otani available in a trade, Shohei Otani might be a Dodger right now. The Dodgers front office loves Shohei Otani. 29 front offices in baseball love Shohei Otani. But with the exception of maybe the Baltimore Orioles, those 29 front offices do not have the prospect capital to entice the Angels to trade him before the 2023 season ends. Not in a way that could compete with the Dodgers. And when you talk about financial capital, if Shohei Otani ultimately does reach free agency without being traded, the Dodgers could be right there too. So... I don't want to turn 2023 into a battle for who will get Shohei Otani <laughs> and try to win the World Series, but it's a storyline, you know, and the Dodgers would love to have him, whether it's midseason this year or free agency next year. And that might be what it takes for me to look at this Dodger team on paper and say, this is the best team in baseball. I don't know if they're there yet. They're close. You know, you could say the Astros took a step backwards after winning the World Series last year, losing Justin Verlander to the Mets, not really signing any high-profile free agent pitchers to replace him. The Phillies, who won the National League pennant last year, aren't going to have Bryce Harper for a little while to begin the season. And they might not have Reese Hoskins at all. It was announced today that Hoskins tore the ACL in his left knee an injury that will require surgery and will likely knock him out for the season. Look, I don't know how legitimate the Phillies' World Series run was a year ago and whether they were even possible favorites to repeat that this year. But that injury doesn't help. You know, you look at the Mets on paper without Edwin Diaz. Like, all the good teams have flaws. Even the Padres have question marks. Who's Fernando Tatis Jr. going to be this year? What does their rotation depth look like? I would probably take the Dodgers' number six, seven, eight starters. If you're talking about Grove, Pepio, Gavin Stone, throw Bobby Miller in there, go down to number nine. I would take those guys after what I saw in spring training over the Padres' six through nine starters. And you know both teams are going to need those guys to start maybe a fifth of their games depending on how healthy the top five starters are. 
So I see the National League as wide open. Nothing I saw from the Dodgers in spring training has really changed my mind about that. But I'm interested to see it in person. We got the freeway series coming up. I will be there all three games. Game one in Dodger Stadium on Sunday. The next two are in Anaheim starting on Monday. And we go from there. The games start to count. Should be a fun one. I will be picking up the podcasting pace more regularly. Hope to have Sean Green back soon. In the meantime, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Every positive endorsement helps. Be well. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.